Hello and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a frankly fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And, and this, this is, is the story, story So Farscape. Farscape. Oh, so. this week it's such a Farscape that, story. It's a return. We are back, finally. We've been gone for so long. There's been a <laughs> great, great hiatus with lots of stories from the past. Stories oh gosh, from yes, the Uncharted right. Territories and the mythical movie of Kroll. It was an amazing Farscape story. Even, oh, you liked it? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. It's one of my favourites. Although I did miss Chana, but, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of people to miss, right? Yes. I mean, everybody on Moya, basically. Yeah. No pilots, no... Uh, no Darko, yeah. no Chiana. I mean, it's interesting because... No Zahn of um, Blessed Memory. Talon seems to have a lot more agency than Moya does, although... That probably gets translated in things that Pilot does usually than things that Moya does. I mean, Pilot tells us about things that Moya is doing. Or, and we've discussed about this in the past, like yes. half, half the time that Pilot says, well, well, Moya says this and that. I think it's just Pilot trying to like get his own... I know. It's like a, it's like a parent like using the other parent as, a, as an absentee. <laughs> well, your father won't be very pleased, will he? Yes. Hey, uh, everyone, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 8, Green-eyed monster. Oh. They went to a planet and it had some rings. The boo-dong-dong-dong, <laughs> dong, dong, the boo-dong-dong. Dong. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I've had that stuck in my head for the entire time while I was watching this episode. Yes. It's a very famous episode written by Ben Browder all by himself. Damn. Yeah, okay. apparently so. He's written a few scripts before. He's written screenplays before. Okay. I don't know that any of them have been uh, produced. Mm-hmm. And then he sent a private message to David Kemper whether he could write an episode of uh, a Farscape. Right, okay. Well, I mean, I, I believe that, like, you get all of the writing credits if, like, less than 10% of it is modified by someone else or something like that. I mean, there's all sorts of rules for that. I don't know that... I mean, the Screenwriters Guild of America operates in America, but this oh. is an Australian production. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of but that. But it is under the auspices of Sci-Fi Channel, so yeah. I don't know for sure whether he'd yeah. uh, have a guild card. That's an interesting thought. It was announced during a chat with David Kemper and Ben Browder in, aden- in attendance to Ben Browder's complete surprise that it was sort of pre-announced that, oh, yeah, and Ben's writing one of the episodes. Oh, oh did yeah, you, did, yes, did I you, am. Did you green like that? You could have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, this week, as our listeners have given us Ooh, some fantastic yes. synopsis again about this episode, Genesis, slamming doors and the silent treatment, psychological warfare and torture, just your typical teenage temper tantrum. Someone needs a timeout to, uh, so the eye candy can save the day. Oh, I like that. But an attempt at murder may torpedo their plans. Thank you, Jenna. Electromagnetic candy, stolen pulse pistols and hands going in the wrong puppet hole? <laughs> <laughs> Propulsion is taken offline at just the wrong time. Jealousy has four interchangeable players in a love triangle in this absolute gem. See what I did there? Uh... Well, did you see what you did, they no. did there? Gem, green-eyed monster. Yes, yes very yes. good. <laughs> of an episode, it's my favourite, says Lucy. Yeah, yours and mine. What a fantastic episode. And in receiving the hand or a finger of friendship, <laughs> pain control and manipulation are seen more clearly. Candy and vomit are key in an episode that would make John truly proud. Thank you, Paul Gumley. Jonah. Jonah, sorry. Jonah, as in Jonah. Oh, whale, sorry. Yeah. I, yeah, I missed out that. Yeah. I, need, oh, really, no, I really need to get my reading glasses on when I'm doing this. Billy Roberts has got your back. It's John, Na, and the <laughs> Whale when Talon and crew get swallowed by a space critter. Which one is bigger, as John and Grace oh, argue? Yes. And there's jealously from an unlikely source, leaving Stark and Rigel to save the day 
Oh, Frel. Thank you, Billy Roberts. <laughs> yeah, and what an episode. So this was let me see that I've got the I've got the credits because it's Ben Browder and who and Tony Tills. Yes. Tony Tills is a, a veteran of mm, I was uh, gonna say that name rings a bell. Yeah, I've started in PK Tech Girls, Dirk Returns, The Way We Weren't, The Ugly Truth. Lots of psychological episodes. Lots of action as well. Not too. Which I mean, yes, I miss Dargo and Tiana and Zan and all those relationships, but with we get, this, we get a lot of Tallinn. Yes, we do. Yeah. We get a lot more than we really understand. Like, he's a character that figures very heavily, but it takes us, as the viewers, a long time to understand just how much agency he has. I mean, you yeah. popped into on, on that one immediately. Well, okay, so it opens with a shot of John doing some maintenance, and I immediately got excited because, like, oh, we've got a new type of DRD, until <gasps> I realized that, oh, wait, of course, Talon would have different DRDs than Moya does. Yeah. So, but it's a fancy little one. He's got, like, this, like, multifaceted extra uh, uh, skeleton well uh, yes. sorry uh, uh, carpus that's carpus, what I'm looking yeah. at and like lots of these little fingers and they really went overboard on giving him a, a bunch of tools that it's working with they really did yeah the creature department they they sort of looked at it okay so we don't no new aliens well yeah but we're going to make it CGI alright cool any any cool devices now a hand of friendship but we've done that before that'll just be we'll just make have it smaller Jeff, yeah. we'll just have Jeff hold it and through the keep his again. hand out of screen this time yes <laughs> Jeff <laughs> Okay, but, then what are we going to do? I don't know, DRDs? I've got you, fam. Yeah. I, I love these. Because carapace is the right word. It does look, has a sort of like cyborg beetle kind of mm, look to it. That's what, yeah, especially this one. Like Moyas are a bit more rounded and a little bit more, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them cuddly, but they look like kind of like curling stones with a couple <laughs> extra things on yeah. these. These look much more like uh, ladybirds. With that, they're kind of missing the spots, but they do yeah, have the, right. the, the various segments, the black front side and then the red yeah. back. They've got some, like, aphid silhouettes to yeah. them as well. and But, yes, much more mechanical, much more militaristic and, as well. Uh, lots of sparkly blue things. Yes, because one of them just happens to be doing some repairs over John's head, just yeah. distracting him, which is apparently a problem that he's been dealing with for a while. Yes, uh, John is... Getting a bit of the cold shoulder from Talon, it seems. This is a theme that's running through the beginning of the show quite strongly. Well, did you know it was Talon? To me, it felt like, and I would still say that it was Talon. It's just that later we learn how it, it came to that. But yeah, to me, it felt very early onward, it started feeling like it was Talon. So you weren't on board with John's theory that it was Grace who was manipulating and using Talon and... Um, a little bit. Really? But how, did you, how did you get there? Okay, okay. Like- so in, in the beginning, mm-hmm. I was fairly ambiguous about it. It could have been Kreis. But as soon as we get the scene later on where John finds the USB stick, from that point on, <laughs> yeah. it was very clear that it was Talon. Right, yeah. yes. Up until that point, I could have gone either way. Maybe I'm like backward projecting here a little bit. Well, we are genre aware. I know. So, at yeah. this point, so... You get the feeling quite early on because Grace doesn't act smug or superior towards John when John goes to the bridge and goes complaining at him. He's more like sighing and dismissive and like, Talon, tell the DRDs to go look for the pistol, which he seems to have misplaced. But he He's does, an underminer. He, he doesn't say it in a way that he is like gaslighting John. He says it in a way that he's like, okay, I'll indulge him. Where's Winona? What? Where? No, nah. His pulse pistol. My gun. Talon, in addition to their current duties, 
Please have the DRDs keep an eye out for Mr. Crichton's pulse weapon. He seems to have mislaid it. Will there be anything else? It's interesting because I could read it both ways, honestly. Maybe my opinion is coloured by the things that happen later in the episode. Of course, of course. But, yeah, that's, but uh, if this had been Crace, if Crace had both been responsible for the vanishing of Winona, yeah. which was the, the straw that broke yeah, the camel's yeah. back for John, and treated him like that, calling him, uh, relax, John, oh, oh, Mr. Crichton, then. Yeah. If he'd done both of those things, he'd be the worst asshole. He'd be worse than Scorpius. True, but, yeah, I mean... You can do one or the other. In the But in the past, it doesn't seem to be in character for him to do it like this. It's like his demeanor would have been meaner and not like... He's, he's not the type to be the underhanded, passive-aggressive... Uh, All right. Bullshit type. So that, therefore, I say, I'd say that it's like you can argue that it's like, yeah, not not within. We haven't seen him being petty. Pe- well, yeah, that's it. Yes, right. He's not pe- he can be vindictive. He can be mean. He can be murderous. But yes, he's not petty. I suppose yeah. that's a very good way to put it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, this episode spawned a lot of of discussion. I read one of the reviews or one of the uh, recaps from way back in the day who talked about that they watched this episode really critically because it's a fan favorite. It's almost universally beloved and it was written by the the man himself. Yes. Yeah. And so they watched it with a very critical eye, looking for like plot holes and gaps and oversights and like not to be swept away by the extremely high expectations. But it lives up to those expectations incredibly. Yeah. The narrative is incredibly tied to the respect for the characters, their relationships, and the audience. It's a love triangle with four players. And the direction really lives up to it as well. Like, the first shot we see of Crace is of the hand of friendship, the neural uh, link and implant. He also looks constipated in that first scene. I don't know. He does not look well. (laughs) It's like... They're dealing with Talon being partially offline. Aaron has been taken charge and brought navigation offline and done a few other things to soothe him because he is still not particularly well. I mean, he did another starburst based on minimal uh, power levels. So, yeah, he's still not yeah. he's still not quite doing particularly well. Oh, poor Talon. Crace is full of praise. Recognize that Aaron has right. an intuitive understanding. Very elegant. You seem to have an intuitive grasp of Talon's subsystems. But he is doing it in a one of those good guy kind of ways, you know? Bit, yeah, yeah right. He is way too, look at me uh, telling you all the thing, things you've done, been doing well. Oh, gosh, you're so praise. good at that. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> It's a little bit. It's a little bit slimy. It's. There's a, I mean, obviously, there's a pretty sort of bad relationship dynamic that's being represented here, but it's also sort of like a parent who finally convinced their child to like do a chore, mow the lawn, and then effusively praising them. Oh, you're so good at mowing the lawn. Okay, right. you, you could do this every week, you know. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. Yes, I can see where you're coming from, but he's like also still trying to recruit Aaron. Aaron, I think, is also fantastic in this episode. She is, she's pure business. She's, no, that's not even fair. No. She's not being swept away by anyone's emotional hang-ups. She's very centered. That's what I'm looking for. She's centered, right. but she's still open to, to, to everyone's emotional shit. She's just trying to understand it. And it's very difficult to understand where Grace and John are coming from, because neither of them are communicating. Hey, Aaron, this is what it feels like when someone doesn't communicate (laughs) their feelings to you, yeah? Yeah. You do this all the time. Learn from it, yes. Sucks, doesn't it? John finally manages to get his way on the bridge. We have the little exchange about missing Winona. uh, And then it turns out that they are skimming along the disc of a uh, planet with a uh, accretion disc. uh, No, uh, rings. Rings, That's the word I'm looking for. Yes, rings. Yes. 
because there's a beautiful moment, a, a beautiful dramatic culmination where John and Crace are sort of facing off against each other and we see Aaron between them saying, Talon, you've seen them both naked. Perhaps you can tell us who's bigger. Yes. And is there anything else you would like, Crace, uh, uh, snipping the arse and going like, yeah, can you like lean left a little bit and avoid that planet over there? And they're like, planet? There's not supposed to be a planet here. It's not, Kay, it's not a planet. Well, no. It's a moon. Right. Right. Do you remember how proud no, you were? I know. Of- I got that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Sorry, I was like still hung up on the fact that like it's obviously that it's not a moon because like you don't get moons in within rings. I mean, you kind of do, but they're like tiny and not on this scale. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I believe that some of the the gaps in those Saturn's rings are caused by a, a little moonlet, which is like sweeping around them, yeah, and, uh, yeah, like yeah, clearing up that area. I guess you could have a bigger one. But yeah, this is like okay. So I'm going to get this off my chest right now. Okay, go ahead. Like, okay, these rings are treated like they are some sort of sea surface because like yes you can just see the bump of the budong and then it jumps out and it crashes back in and it's like clearly meant to look like this creature is coming and that is not how the fuck it works in space. Okay. And this is because... Uh, also, those rings are maybe about 50 meters thick on Saturn, I believe. Like they're, uh, they're, Jupiter's even... They're, they're, they're 20 th- meters thick. Yeah, they're the, thin. The like, yeah. So, yeah. They're very, very sparse. It's okay. So these rings are mostly ice, so they're refracting right. the sunlight, yeah, which yeah. is always coming I mean, from a great angle. It's just oh, it's gorgeous. gorgeous. I'm not saying that. But like uh, the way the budon keeps jumping out of them, like it's a great white shark trying to uh, nom on, uh, uh, maybe I should I say a gr- white whale, I should possibly call it. Oh, I like that too. Because uh, staying with the Jonah's uh, theme. But yeah. yes, Talon gets gold up. I think it even happens right before b- before the uh, intro, uh, isn't it? Before the credits. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. John, like everybody says, well, the, wait, no, our orbit is clear of any of the moons. What could that be? How is it off for our scanners? And, and then John says, that's no moon. That's no moon, yes. Which you had written down already, before he said it. I already had it on tape, yes. <laughs> And we go to the credits just as we see our very first live budong. Yes. Spacefaring megafauna. Which apparently is quite a rarity. Apparently live budongs are rarer than dead budongs. That's an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. live budongs are exceedingly rare. I guess he meant to say live budong sightings. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because dead ones can't sort of escape. They can't get away. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So, lots of gorgeous shots of, from Talon. We get treated to a lot more talent sets up to until now it has been command yes the that's command. it yeah that's all we've seen of talent other than outside shots now there's a few corridors an airlock there a is bedroom ish yeah. which is sort of a bunk in a hallway which is very militaristic kind right. of but also uh, the captain's quarters oh yes which I noticed yeah, has been f- already been decorated in uh, Peacekeeper uh, regalia, even though the fact that he's broken with that. Let, let's assume that was programmed into uh, Talon when he was born, that he was made to look like a Peacekeeper ship, and that's not Ooh. an uh, active choice that Crace uh, has made to redecorate as a uh, oh. Peacekeeper. Oh, you've, you're, you're actually, like, that just inspired me. Maybe it's an active choice that... Talon made. Yeah. Right? Talon still feels some pride toward peacekeepers. He doesn't know what it means to be a peacekeeper. He knows that he is one. And like, I'm trying to think of a metaphor here. Maybe as a teenager, when you discover you have ancestry from a nation that you didn't previously know, you know, a grandparent or great-grandparent who turned out to be water, and suddenly you have this sort of romantic connection that now you feel, oh, so I'm part Vietnamese or, you know, Siberian or uh, Zimbabwean. And you spend two hours Googling 
Zimbabwean or, or yes. Siberian culture and then you sort of drape some blankets over your head in the Siberian style or whatever and suddenly you're like this super tryhard like wharf from right. the next yes, generation yes, 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 yes. <laughs> who cosplays a Klingon as, as well as he can yes because that's all the connection he has to it yeah so maybe um, this is Talon who's like a teenager decorating his bedroom, except it's your bedroom because he's the bedroom. Right, he is the bedroom. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, no, that's troubling. Oh. So, turns out they have been swallowed by the Budong and they are now moving down its gullet and there's a quick consensus reach that they need to weigh out the sea anchor uh, and uh, slow down their transport down towards the Budong's stomach. Getting toward that consensus is, is, is kind of tricky. Like, Talon's oh, panicking. Crace yeah. um, is yelling at Talon to calm down. Erin butts in, and she really succeeds in, in talking Talon down. She tells him to, like, yeah. focus on one point, tune everything else out, focus, focus, and then your emotions will be stabilised. Crace initially dismisses John's sort of inane prattle. Like, John even asks for, get us a situational hologram, and Crace says, no need, I'm fully tied in. I can see everything. Right. I'm the captain of the ship. Why would anybody else need to see uh, what the situation is? Yeah. And it's Aaron who observes that, no, John is right. And this is a moment that I really like. John's assessment of the situation is correct. Aaron tells Crace that. Boulong you will yeah. limit your remarks to something useful. No, or Crace. I will. what? He's right. John is right. Drop anchor. Anchor? Yes, anchor. No, Talon. But only slightly stupid in my bias time. And then Crace turns to John and says, proceed, elaborate. Yeah. He's very deferent in this. Earlier on, he also says to Aaron, Officer Sun, what are our options? Yes. He, he again, it's like another thing, like he keeps calling her Officer Sun. She even calls him sir at one yes. point. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, but uh, yeah, and he, he, he immediately reacted to that as well. For someone who's not a peacekeeper anymore, I mean, I guess it's just old habits die hard. But Yeah. Or maybe it's a little bit like your second day at, primary school and you call the teacher mom <laughs> i don't think i've ever done that but i can no, 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 but i can no. totally get it you know a woman in a position of authority what's yeah. the word for that well mom yeah yeah so first john and then uh, aaron goes after him goes running towards the airlock where they prepare some missiles that they apparently had and they t- attach some cables to them and there's a little bit of bloody blah going on and uh, okay so this is where the, the first point where it starts to become where i thought it was talon who was messing with him, definitely, because right. John is trying to connect the cables to these external hooks, and they kind of snap at him every time. Oh, yes. And it's not, and it's clearly not Crace who's doing that. Yes. There wouldn't be a reason for Crace to do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So well, this, this is, is just like Talon nipping at his fingers, basically. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, you're right. I love that. See, I wasn't, I wasn't paying enough attention to all that stuff to, to notice it, because I was just looking at... Whoa, they got really sexy spacesuits suddenly. Oh, yes. The little white line jumpsuits. That was like, yeah. oh my God, those are amazing. Yes. Uh, and they're and they're nearly skin tight. Like finding that right balance between still dressing your protagonist in skin tight black leather, but also making their silhouettes visible in space. Beautiful. So I think those are retroflective stripes because you see yeah. how, how incredibly bright they are sometimes. That makes sense, yeah. So all you'd have to do is like put a little ring light around the lens, not enough to even illuminate anybody's face, but more than enough to like shoot out those, yeah, yeah, to like make cat's those reflects. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I thought this was a bit of a a weak scene where they're like trying to anchor the ship because oh, there's a wall here somewhere we can't see the wall. Oh, there it is, crash, and again, and it 
seemed a little bit of like trying to create dramatic tension, which for me didn't really work. Fair enough. Yeah. Like I can, I, I think I remember that being uh, the case for me as well in my yeah, first like watch. Put, a, put some bloody floodlights out there. I mean, doesn't Fla- Talon have external lights? Coulda, woulda, shoulda brought a flashlight. To be honest, like alternatively, you get the other type of scene, which is overdone in sci-fi, and which is like, oh, we're flying through these guts, and every we can see perfectly well all the wrinkles and indentations of this yeah. creature's gullet. But I think they went a little bit too far the other way here. Me, I kind of loved it. Like, not knowing where they are is is kind of the thing. Mm. So they're shooting blind, and they're trying to also like properly respecting the scale of a spaceship and space travel and the speed at which you have to move to get anywhere and how dangerous that can be and you know you have two seconds between the moment where you can see something and crashing into it well presumably like talon is still adrift and all of the movement we're seeing is just the budong's esophagus uh, working and doing its thing or apparently he's got some sort of electromagnetic peristaltic motion going on at least that's what i got from the uh, very good uh, they're being dragged by em yes gravitational eddies. I, I liked the... It was a repeated shot a few times of mm-hmm. the uh, the sort of anchor cable being dragged away. They had a proper roadie roll that they laid it out yep. in. The, uh, yeah, laid, based, well, they laid it out like you would a harpoon uh, cable for a, from a whale hunter. Oh, is that the imagery? Yeah, I think that's oh, what that's not were... nearly so cool. <laughs> Mm. But they finally manage to shoot off their two torpedoes and anchor them to the ship, which slows their movement through the Budong's gullet. John's idea to do two. Yes. Cuts to the shuttle, the pod, which has uh, Stark and Rigel on it, who have apparently been doing some sort of errand, which, of course, Rigel... Recon. Because Rigel... Rigel does something, and therefore, like, everybody should be eternally grateful that he's doing anything at all, because it's fucking Rigel. After all I've done for them! And Stark, who's in this wonderful manic phase that I really, really enjoy. That lump is a budong. What are you doing? Shutting everything down. Stop being a wellness. We should just fly round it. Budongs are harmless, aren't they? They're a frilling shipping hazard. Our ship's energy fields make us electromagnetic candy. I mean, I thought both of them were kind of cliché-ish. Yes. Uh, no, I'm, I'm completely with yeah. you. They were both very much their own cliché in this episode. Playing to type. Right. right? Yeah, They were stereotypes yeah. of themselves. Because Rigel was either trying to make his cowardly escape or... Puking on people, I suppose. Specifically on Stark, yes. Rigel doesn't move an inch. He he sits in that seat and he doesn't move. No, that's right. I mean, like Stark kind of snuggles up to him at one point, and it becomes a bit of a like cozy moment for <laughs> yeah. where Stark is reaching over his shoulders to work the controls from behind. That sounds so wrong. Um. <laughs> Q Aaron back on the command, rejoining Crace, who. I mean, they have a bit of an intimate conversation, like the the heat's been turned on, so she takes off the, the top of her skimpy little space suit. Yes, and Crace wants to show her something and also starts taking the clothes off, and we're just like, okay, mm-hmm. is this where it's going? It's warm in here. Hey, Anna, there's something we need to discuss. Crichton will be up here shortly. What we have to discuss does not concern him. I have engaged privacy mode, and I wish to speak solely with you. Although Aaron doesn't seem to be particularly impressed. And this is where we get the scene where... Okay, so this is another thing I know. Just like... Yes. Talon does a lot of messing with the comms during this episode. 
Yeah. And not just like blocking comms when it suits him, but also imitating people. Yeah. Impersonating. Because, Sorry, that's the word I was looking for. Because John's on his way to the command, trying to get the door open, and then he hears what he thinks is Crace, a garbled yeah. version of Crace, saying, meet me in my quarters. He goes there and oh. no Crace. Oh, but there's a USB stick on the table. On a glowing section of the table that's yeah. like blinking. It's like a, it's like a video game where you, right. you know, an RPG yeah. where you and walk in the like, room. Oh, I really shouldn't, but he immediately but... does so anyway. And it contains a conversation between Erin and Crace about when he first asked her to join him. Yeah, uh, uh, I think that's season two, episode one. Take what you want, I won't stop you. Uh-huh. That's well, literally, I believe, what she says. You can take what you want and I won't stop you. And then it's followed with some creative... Editing. Yeah. Yes. Implying that Erin and Crace have been recreating together, as Erin later puts it. <laughs> That's the term she's used before. I know. That's that's how, you know, the fluid build-up release and mm-hmm. the, the sort of peacekeeper thing. Once again, with Erin on top, like, cowgirl just seems to be the yep. style for peacekeepers. This Good se- on you. Yeah, this sends John into a smouldering jealousy, I suppose. Yes. He's but- definitely not enraged, but he's a little bit of... A little bit of jealousy, a little bit of resignation as well. It's like He's pulling an Erin. He's turning it all right. inward. Yes, Right? And letting no. very little out. So he makes his pain hard to understand for other people, and that's just apparently how he deals with it. Mm. But he doesn't lash out. No. In fact, he goes to the bridge, and he starts talking to uh, Aaron and Crace, and he's, like, extremely, not even passive-aggressive, just passive about it. He's like, he doesn't... That's brilliant, yes. Yeah. Because he walks in on them as they're they're sweating and they're zipping their jumpers back up. <laughs> yes. And, and they've, they've been talking about some important things that they've decided. That they quickly change the subject, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's just like, "Oh no, everything's fine. Like you guys do whatever you want." Okay, so I really love Tony Tills's direction, which I get to appreciate a lot more because of these jeeps. We now have another shot with Aaron and Chris standing next to each other, mm-hmm. and John sort of in the middle, and the distance between them, like this. Yes, but. These shots always occur on the command. So it looks like there's a triangle between them, but overhead is Talon. Yes. It's brilliant. It's yeah, really I noticed that. This is several times that the overhead thing, which is brought into view, which is this red panel with this with these blotches on it, uh, which is yeah. apparently representing Talon, and Eren zaps it later. So maybe it's his brain node or whatever. This is Moya. We never saw something like that on Moya. She has a neural nexus. It's a much larger organ. Right. Yeah. But uh, Talon is part peacekeeper, uh, a spaceship, so yeah. it would be. So they want to. They have to have like a pl- part on the bridge where the commanding officer can shoot him if he needs to. Ugh. I mean, it's tricky because he, Talon does have weapons on his on his yes, command as yes, well. Yes, yes, he does. He does. I remember the first time that she walked into Talon's command, uh, and she stood under that, but she kneeled down and she spoke to the floor. Yes. So it seems like that whole like ceiling and floor, yeah, well, just an interface yeah. point. It's like, uh, I mean, it's basically like your face, right? Yeah. Like a, a cat or a dog can recognize where your face is, and that's the part that you talk into. <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of a scene where we get a gorgeous shot of the suits. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, they're walking through the hallway. They're, they're retroflective. Like, they're such cool suits. Although I can only imagine what it must have been like to wear them because it does not look like they breathe very well. It looks like it's nylon or something like that. So there would probably be a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> going on on the set. 
I once saw a set video of the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where the Cardassians appear. Yeah. And they wear uniforms that are supposed to be armor, but they sort of look like pleather upholstery on a plane seat. (laughs) And it's just so loud you can't even hear each other. Wow. Just imagine the crinkling here and just the the, the Uh, crinkling and the stinkling. And the static electricity. And this is a reversal of Aaron and John's relationship. absolutely. Because she's trying to, I don't understand why you're acting like this. I want you to stop acting like a dranit. And it's brilliant. And he's just being the stoic, yeah, not saying anything that Aaron usually does. Yeah. Like, you and Chris just do whatever. You don't want me there, right? Yep. Even forgot to mention this, because Aaron's just informed him that she's decided to accept the hand of friendship. Right, yes. And but, uh, captain, but the ship can only have one captain. Well, we drew Rick something together, and now we're like, yes, we can. <sighs> but basically, John tells her to do whatever she bloody well wants. Because it's uh, always about what you want. What, and she ends up doing this little teenage girl run away from the... I mean, the only thing that is missing there is... I don't think that's the, fair. No. no I, I know mean, what you're talking about. Looks, that she's it, like a, it looks like it. Like That's when she a, just runs away. It's like slamming the door on their step-parent. No, I don't, <laughs> this, is, this is completely earned. He's shut her down. After criticizing yep. her for doing that herself, she's trying to be open to him and he's constantly rejecting him. Then, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't actually want you around. You're being a complete shit. Yeah. There's clearly nothing that I'm capable of doing to, uh, that, that you want me to do right now. So... Of course. Oh, brilliant. So at this point uh, in the story, I'm thinking, okay, this is the John that's going to die. Ooh. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm put, putting I'm, the brakes. I I'm need putting, to, yes. I'm putting 100 points on the saying that Talon John is going is the one who's going to get, die or maybe put on a bus, but he's probably going to die at some point. I Why do you it, think that? Because this allows them to explore a lot of antagonism and a lot of dramatic tension and a lot of emotional non-development, which they can right. then conveniently decide never happened. And of course, it's still going to have an effect on Eren, but it's not going to have an effect on other John, who right. is then going to be like, why are you so angry at me about? I didn't do anything. Oh, uh, yeah. Poker face, poker face. May I might change my opinion. I might put some points on the other thing. You the are opponents completely welcome to. Yeah. I would. I would like. I actually really like that. Like your your but, sort of running idea of what. Yeah, what's but going basically to at this point, one of my notes is said like Talon John is dead. I kind of expected it to happen in this episode, especially towards the exciting bit towards the end. Oh wow! But you no, know, apparently they didn't want to go that far. Wait, yet. so. Were you sort of expecting that? Wait, yes, you made a prediction the last time that you that you thought it would be uh, 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 this would be resolved nice and quickly, right? Yes, can't remember what how many episodes I put on it, but I did say something about it, that it was going to be resolved fairly quickly. But oh yeah, I think you said. So I think there's going to be about half an episode before they manage to meet up again. There's going to be a little bit of back and forth thing. But I do think that they are going to show up again. I'll put a hundred fun bucks on that. That like there's going to be a, a joining uh, before the end of the next episode. A reunion. That's right. That's how many day. De- that's how many episodes you. <laughs> sort of ed- note to self: edit it in and, and make yeah. it sound. <laughs> make it sound clever. <laughs> but yeah, so that's therefore definitely towards the end of the episode. I that could have gone both ways for me. I did not think that John had plot armor during the exciting part at the end of this episode. Ooh. See, that's such a I mean, he brilliant kind of, position yeah, to be he in. He kind of still has plot armor because they have a backup. <laughs> yeah, but you're... Oh, I don't know that I felt it when I watched it for the first time. And what a shame. Mm. Because, yeah, this is the first time. Yeah. 
this is the first time that we've seen one John in a, in an episode, and he can actually die. Yes, he's actually into oh <laughs> this show, because man. It's, it's not going to affect the long term. You still have Ben Rowder, you still have John around, but yeah, yeah, now you can like actually put him in peril, and like he might die, he might not. We don't know. God, imagine how that would have... Oh, we don't have to imagine. We can just read some fanfic that is probably about <laughs> yes. this. Like, how would that have re- changed the relationship between Aaron and... Oh, not even Aaron and Chris, Aaron and Talon. Oh, that too, Because yes. if he died, Talon would have killed him. Essentially, yes. Yeah, yeah. He's, the, he's the antagonist. He's the... Gosh, he's, such a, a, he's a little teenager who's like definitely has a favorite parent. <laughs> yeah. Well, John's kind of a step parent, right? right? Yeah, John is like he, Talon has affections for Aaron, and uh, Aaron has affections for John. Therefore, John is competition. Yes. Well, okay. So <laughs> this is the sort of nine-dimensional love triangle that they're in because Talon would not feel that competition toward Crace if Crace and Aaron were because I guess not because that would be like yeah parental pairing he would prefer. Yeah. Maybe he prefers stepdad to his, like, you know... I mean, he kind of also is a little bit stepdad, so we're rapidly becoming kind of Oedipal here. Right, very much so, but... (laughs) But, hey, feelings are weird, right? True, true, true. Especially for young people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's also a lot of actual plot going on, which I thought was... Brilliant, because we've remarked before how the Farscape can sort of struggle to deliver the sort of science-y plot Mm -hmm. or the, you know, in the the middle of feelings, uh, dramatic stories. And I didn't feel that here at all. I felt that it was delivered quite well because... Oh, yes. The Boudong has swallowed them. Uh, Stark has experience with Boudongs. He served... Well, served. He was he was enslaved. Right. Oh, yeah, because one of the things that they've said is, we're just going to ride it out. We're just going to pop out the other end, and it'll be fine. And when Stark hears about this, Stark goes, No, 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 you, you can't. Its stomach is an inferno. Nothing ever comes out of a boudong alive. Like, oh, no, that's really bad idea. Don't do that. Like, no, 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 no. Can't do that. <laughs> the stomach is like a furnace of 5,000 clenches. You'll be utterly melted. There'll be nothing but ore. Yes, there will be a little... Uh, Talon nuggets coming out the other end of the... <laughs> Just a little... A Talon corn husk. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, um, which Talon overhears, and he does not respond very well to that. He no. wants to move. He doesn't want to be anchored down. No, he doesn't like that. So I didn't quite get the scene where Rigel pukes over Stark. I'm not quite sure what triggered that. Oh, so... I kind yeah. Of, yeah, I missed that point. I guess it did struggle a bit to convey the plot, because I was paying attention to that a lot more than I guess I was to the, the drama. So, Rigel, surprising absolutely no one, wants to escape and save their own skins. Yes. And so Stark tied him up, so he can't do that. Right. Oh, that's it, yeah. He, we, we have a gagged Rigel. He's, like, tied up with Stark's jockstrap or something along those lines. I'm not quite Yikes. sure what he used for that. Yeah, it does... Well, it looks like some kind of spare bra or whatever. And that's then what to, I said. <laughs> distract him. Jockstrap could be considered as a monobra, you know. Oh, yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Had a little think there. Uh, back to the episode. Where were we? Oh, yes. He pukes all over Stark, who is astonished at this sort of gel that he right. gets covered in, which is apparently disgusting. But it does give him an idea. Oh. <laughs> yes. Well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean, after he's cleaned up, yes, it does give him an idea. Uh, Rigel is so proud. Oh, I love that trick. Apparently, he can do that whenever he wants. Yeah. Just throw up a pint of Stomach KY. Acid. Yeah, whatever it is. It's, like, unpleasant, apparently, which I can imagine, considering, like, what he eats and how much of it. But, yes. Aaron I mean, 
receives the hand of friendship. Oh, yes. No sign of Jeff this time. No. Just a little bit of stability. Uh, she takes it quite well. John is not allowed in when it's happening. He's again standing in front of a closed door. He's been kept out of the room. Yeah. This is after he's changed his mind because he said he didn't want to be there. And then he changed right. his mind and wanted yeah. to be there. And he can't be there anyway. It's a really intimate moment. Grace and, and Aaron, they're both kneeling, mm-hmm. which is a good brace position, certainly when yeah. you're about to undergo something. But it's there's a great reverence to it. Like also, also, Grace sort of, you know, are you really sure about this? Because this is a. Yeah. I mean, it's a physical and, and, and mental union, and it's, and it's a very permanent thing as well. And despite the fact that he clearly wants her to do it, he's still, like, respecting her. He, he wants to make sure that she goes into it entirely voluntarily. Yeah. Um, Something that he's, he's repeated often enough that it's not just a line anymore. He, yeah. He even says, we wanted you to come to this decision on your own, hmm. but, you know, the necessities of this situation mean that I have to come out and say to you, this is what I want you to do and what I'm hoping for. But through that honesty, he's still respecting her decision. He's just asking her to make it sooner and giving her all the information about it. Mm. Like, yep. She gets stabbed by the hand of friendship and we get a few shots, which looks like we're getting some memories from Talon because we can see a scene where he's starbursting and we can oh, see yeah. her zooming through corridors, which is a shot that's repeated several other times when she's like trying to find mentally find her way around Talon. Yes, this is called... Tilsey Vision, mm. named after the the director. Like yeah. that was in the that was in the script that Ben Browder wrote, and then we'll we'll use Tilsey Vision to make it clear. And Tony Tills read it, and I wonder what that is. <laughs> well, I'll take an ultra wide lens and warp the edges and move it really fast Have on a dolly. Run wrong with, uh, yeah. yeah, running wrong with a Steadicam is what, what it looks no, like. To memories me. is a really good point because now I'm looking at the Gif. One of them includes a, a, a vision of Moya, who is right. not there. So. No, yes. And Erin is elated. She says the Talon is beyond beautiful. Yeah. Uh, she te- takes to it very quickly, despite uh, Grace's uh, cautioning that it might take her a while to uh, get attuned to it because it's going to be harder for her. Because when he linked up with Talon, he was only a baby, and now he's like a teenager. He's very willful. Yeah. But she has a, she has an almost intuitive understanding of Talon's systems already. Mm. Possibly consequence of lingering pilot DNA. Quite likely. Yeah, yeah that seems uh, seems like a plausible explanation. Handy that DNA. Does yeah, it stuff, isn't it? it? That's come back very helpful a lot of times already. John is walking through the corridor and has a little standoff with the, the angry DRD. Who's just like standing guy <laughs> girl. And at this point, I'm like definitely like yeah. Talon does not like John. This is like this, this that that sealed it in for me. And while John is distracted, uh, Grace is giving Aaron. Some, I mean, some lessons. Yes. In how do you like, how do you operate? Yeah. Think about this. Move through the corridor. Go to the door. You kind of now concentrate on the door. Now open it and then the door opens and yep. You learn fast. Now imagine someone who's far away and you want to talk to them. Ah yes. And then the comms open, like. And suddenly they can talk to uh, Rigel and Stark again. Oh, yes. Yes, because through wanting that, she linked the external navigational sensors to the... Which is, like, apparently not an easy thing to do, but... Welcome to our world, Officer Sun. Yeah, Chris looks quite impressed, actually, at this. And this is... Oh, yes, we skipped ahead a bit due to the Tweety of Mintaka. Ah, Mintaka 3. Yes, well, I, we sort of sidled into accidentally calling him Mintaka 4 for oh, a while. We? Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I mean, 5 <laughs> is right out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so that was an homage by Ben Browder in reference to uh, executive producer and sometimes writer Ricky Manning, 
Frunium, much beloved on the internet still, who wrote an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where the planet Mintaka 3 features. Yeah. Uh, it's the one with the proto-Vulcan species. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, but how is this relevant to this episode specific? I mean, we're talking about it now, but... Well, because Ben Browder, yeah. like... Does he, does he actually say Mintaka here? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. No. It's toward the end. It's toward ah. the end when he says these stars already have names and, and, and he says, yeah, well... <sighs> Mintaka 3 sounds... Boring to me, anyway. It's oh, I missed that. I mean, I, oh. I just heard Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Okay, so uh, yeah. I must have sounded like a complete yeah, weirdo I like, as I was. Just, what are you on about? Uh, okay. There's another. There's another little subtle homage dropped in here at, at one point where Aaron sort of looks out and says, "No, I don't see anything." Still nothing. Pitch black. Pitch black is a film that she appeared yeah, in yeah, in 1999. <laughs> But yes, this is where Stark delivers the news. Oh no, it's terrible. You're definitely going to die if you, if you get swallowed through. Talon panics. Krace tries to calm him down. And then Krace screams and collapses. And Yeah, and that doesn't really come back. I mean, at this point, I get the feeling that uh, it was Talon doing that. Yeah. Because Talon really wants Aaron as the captain. Like Talon's being like, okay, now you're my favorite parent now. Well, okay, interesting. So what's happening here is Talon is panicking, Krace is trying to command him to stop, and like a teenager with a tantrum, he essentially kicks his dad. Like, yeah. He he uses his... I mean, this is the point that, that some people encounter in their lives where, hey, the people that, that were physically like stronger and bigger than me are no longer. I've grown, yeah. and I can kick you around. Yep. Uh, and in moments of stress, that's something that he does. He kicks Krace uh, down and then forces him to do his bidding. Because John walks in, sees Aaron. They try to explain the situation. Hey, where's Chris? And Aaron Chris uses, is gone, yeah. He's at the airlock. They surmise he's about to... Uh, Unhook the cables. Yep. And why would he do that? Well, turns out yeah. he's compelled by Talon. Talon is basically puppeteering him around. And he can't do that to Aaron. That's part ah, of the modifications. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Or at least that's uh, that's what Grace claims. Yeah. Rigel, again, for the second or third time, tries to make a run for it because uh, <laughs> yeah. Stark has decided that, okay, we're going to make the Budong throw up. So we're going to play uh, electromagnetic candy for him, make him swallow a lot of ice. Talon's going to dump out his cesium fuel and then we're going to set that on fire and that like big fireball and it's going to make him throw up. That's yep. the plan. Which I can understand that Talon is not super convinced no. by because it is a big old explosion. and But it is a decent plan. It does require a, a big old explosion that is that Talon currently can't produce no. because his cannon's offline. But, but fortunately, the harpoons they had used earlier on also had warheads. We just have to, like, yes. set them off. I kind of love... Like, that's one of those... Normally, you describe it as an ass pull. But they were described as Tag 5 torpedoes. Like, these, oh, yeah. were, these were destructive rockets that they attached a cable to because that was handy right now. Yes, kind of like harpoons, except, like, without the cable, and the cable was on top of that. It makes sense. It didn't feel like they were uh, trying to wing it. I mean, like, they, for, for if they hadn't been planning that from the beginning in the episode, then they could have found something else, like, you know, docking cables or something else to make the lines with, or even the uh, umbilical that uh, uh, Talon uses to connect to Moya oh, with. Point. Something like that. So, no, I, I wouldn't call that an aspel. I'd say that, that was a definite It's completely uh, earned, plot, right? Plant. It's yeah, really, no, really totally. well thought through. Yeah. But it's up to John to stop Crace from releasing those cables. Yeah. Uh, he threatens Crace with a gun. 
Yes, uh, he convinces uh, Aaron to give her pulse pistol to him because Winona still is missing. Oh, yeah. Uh, runs through the corridors. Aaron has to exert her control on Talon to actually get him to open the door. And Chris, this is where he actually taunts John. I see you found a weapon. What do you intend to do with it? Shoot me. That's one option. Of course it is. We've come full circle, John Crichton. Now you want to kill me. Then don't make my day. Because he's in agonising pain and he's actually begging for death. John to shoot him, yes. Because apparently the thing between him and Talon is a bit of a you know, uncomfortable relationship at certain points, especially for uh, Crace, who yeah. is covered in lesions and sores which happens when they disagree and he tries to resist what Talon's doing. It was a little bit unclear what exactly caused those. Talon can punish Kreis. Right. Can physically, it's like cybernetic bleed back. Yeah, I guess it's when suddenly your child is 50 centimetres taller than you are. Yeah. And they can actually bully you around. Like, what a complicated situations all around. Aaron manages to shut it down by ripping out a few cables and zapping it into uh, Talon's neurocluster. It's a bit of a... It's the overhead plate with some ovals and circles on it. And yep. uh, zapping him like that basically puts him to sleep. I love that she uses her fantastic jacket to wrap around these live wires. Yeah. Yes, an insulator. Very, very, good. very yeah. good. Especially when you're standing inside a gigantic conductor. I guess she's starting to learn her tech thing. <laughs> See, Aaron, mm-hmm. you're actually a tech. Yeah. And I also respected that John chooses not to shoot Chris. I guess he sees what's going on. Do you think so? Or do you think that maybe he's, he's just, just like, holding on to... Maybe. He definitely has a talk with him at this point about all the bullshit that's been going on. Wake up, Bialar. <laughs> Finally, the, the, the two men are really communicating with each other. Chris is vulnerable. He's... Without his clothes, under the covers, you can see huddling them oh, to this, himself. Yeah, this is where we see his quarters, by the way, which still have the, the peacekeeper like symbols on the wall, and it's Absolutely all done in red and gorgeous black. gorgeous boudoir, and, uh, yeah. yeah. It's funny how John has to sleep in a sort of cubbyhole in a corridor, but the captain still gets palatial quarters. Well, as we heard the last time, the guest quarters hadn't been grown yet. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is confronted with the fact, yeah, you're not going anywhere. We have to solve this problem. Unfortunately, they can't get a lot more help from Stark because Rigel has chosen to swallow one of the essential he, components. Yeah, he yanked something out of the console and he swallows a it. Comms relay or something. Yeah, but no, no, no harm, no foul. Stark goes and just goes on with his own plan anyway. Yep. He, Turning on, like, continuing to describe their little pod as electromagnetic candy. Yes. <laughs> Electromagnetic candy. <laughs> Flying low over the ice with the pot turned on to maximum, trying to like coax the budong to chasing them, basically opening its mouth like a big whale trying to get a bunch of krill, but instead getting all those nice little icy particles yeah. from the rings. Which is one component of the two component uh, like milkshake of destruction that they're trying to create. The other being uh, being cesium, which Talon can release. But it is important that the warheads are released and charged yeah. and activated so that the explosion can take place and Talon can ride the shockwave and the inverse peristaltics Get, uh, to yeah, freedom. Burped out. And who has to do that? Well, John, of course. Yes. Uh, he has to go out there, pull his way along the cables and push the right buttons on the harpoons. And they'll have 500 microts after he does that before the things explode. 
And then Talon cuts off communications. He, I think he is already messing with the communication because he says that the green one arms the explosions and the blue one releases the cable. But I believe that later on, we, where, when it actually comes to the point, we see mm-hmm. John pressing the green button, which releases the cable, much to his surprise. John, answer me. Releasing cable now. The thing that I noticed was... Hey, there's three blue lights. Four, actually. Oh, there's more? Yeah, I think there's like three on one side and one on the other. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, lots of blue lights. Like, which one? Anyone, you know? Yeah. Also, relying on on color coding alone, a lot of people are colorblind or... Blue green is also, culturally speaking, can be difficult to uh, distinguish between linguistic... Not all languages have a distinction between blue and green. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, oh, did... Grace is back on the bridge. Did he change jackets? I think he did. Uh, I think he's wearing his, uh, his little velour number now. Commander jacket, yes. Yeah, I like that. The plan goes off to hitch. The Budong starts swallowing uh, large amounts of ice. Grace is poised to tell Talon to release his uh, 70% of his cesium fuel. Yep. And the charges have been primed. And set. And John is making his way back to the ship, despite the fact that the cable came loose. Yep. Which doesn't work. The door is closed. Well, it closes right in front of him. When he gets there, it's still open, and he tries to swing around, and it gets smashed shut in right in front of his face, presumably by Talon again. Yep, because when Erin uses her senses, her connection to Talon, to see what's what what... Talon lies to her. Yep. Because he shows it like, no, there's nobody out there. No, really honest. There's nobody here. Nobody in front of the airlock. No, it's empty. It's open. Look, door's open. There's nobody in here. And he... T- <laughs> Your talent impersonation is fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Because even when she realizes that Talon's, like, she thinks that Talon spaced John. Yeah. And Talon's actually quite comfortable. I'll take that on the chin, as long as we both agree that he's not here. Yeah, and he's never not coming back, deal. yes. <laughs> it's such a bad plan, but that's a teenager for you, right? Right, yes. With a little bit more information, you can see right through it. Which she actually does manage to... Do. She manages to convince him to show her the truth anyway. Do you think that she does it or that, that she convinces him to? I mean, she asks for the truth. Yes. Which uh, I guess is an appeal to his so, honor. And I can't quite remember what makes her not believe what she's saying at first because Talon's blocking the comms. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure why she's unwilling to believe that this is true. Has anything occurred that's made her reluctant to take Talon's word? <sighs> It may be that she doesn't believe that John will just die like a chump. Right. Right? Okay. So that she doesn't believe that yeah. he'd die off screen. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit meta, but yeah, okay. They even had that conversation where she, she, she talks to him about, like, I had this life. I liked it. It had rules. I followed the rules. And that made everything right. And then you come along and you frell everything up. This strange human with arrogance, stubbornness. Damn. Let me finish. You saw the recording and you didn't say a word. You were like a plague, John Crichton, and you have ruined my life. And yet I just keep coming back. And also, like, the corollary to that I is can't keeps... quit you. No. Wait, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess there's also a bit of uh, familial intuition. Like, a parent can 
tell when their child is lying. I suppose so, because yeah. Because children are not usually very good at lying. They haven't had a lot of practice. And and just the, the whole sort of systemic context of all the things that you normally say and how you normally behave and, and all of that, like, there's just... Yep. A, as, a, as an adult, you have certain advantages there. Then again, kids are quite capable of getting true, away with, uh, with Dren. Yeah, last second uh, rescue as she opens the hatch. Uh, John gets pulled in. The, the charges explode. The water and cesium uh, explodes even more. Beautiful, beautiful and effect. And they get burped out by the uh, budong. And it's, it's feelings that solve this problem. Like, Erin uh, has run down to the access hatch where she's on, on one door and on the opposing door, that's where John is, and she's, like, she's done commanding talent. And instead, I thought it was really interesting. So... She shares a feeling with him that we don't see visually. Uh-huh. And she explains to him that this is something that you will never feel, and that is to need someone. Ah, yes. Right? That she needs John in a way that Talon does not need her. Talon, I want you to share something with me. Before he dies, you can taste something that is denied to peacekeepers. Something that you will never know. Can you feel that? Good. Yeah. Okay. Which that makes sense. Is an incredible. I mean, I mean, it's a lot of projection, and I'm presuming that she knows how leviathans work. Yeah, it's a, it might be a, like an intuitive leap, yeah. but I, I felt that she was really meeting uh, a talent where he is because, yeah, this is not a part of his emotional lexicon. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Maybe that, like. Saying that he will never feel that is a bit of a stretch. I think right. it's a bit presumptuous, but it's something that, yeah, that's not a part of it. So she removes yeah. the connection. Like, you don't need me. I need John. Like, these relationships can't be manipulated. No. Um, I know. I'm just really hung up on the feelings part, no. but I forgot just how good this episode was. <laughs> that I haven't even been talking about, like, the fantastic set design. You were the one who remarked on that. Oh, yeah. They redesigned Talon's command for this. Sorry, didn't change the design at all, yeah. but they rebuilt it just so it would be easier to move around, right? Different components can come apart, so there's oh. more places for lights and cameras. Yeah, yeah. Chris tells Talon to turn on the docking web to uh, capture the uh, the pod, and uh, they get brought in, and then it cuts to a scene where uh, Chris is explaining to Erin what happened. He like he hands her the uh, USB stick and uh, shows <laughs> yeah. her what's on it, and like some looks like Talon has been showing John certain things which aren't exactly necessarily true. Yeah, creative. You know, there's a bit of ambiguity there. Because it almost sounded like some of these some of these images are really quite recreative. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're like he'd been doing a little photoshopping of his own and like making some interesting. <laughs> and Aaron walks up to John, who is sitting on his bunk, and he's got a real sulk going on. He's sort of oh, swinging yeah. his legs over the edge. He looks so. I mean, no, that's mean. He's wounded. He's he's dealing with a lot of feelings. And she approaches him with the same kind of respect and demanding of respect that she does with Talon as well. Like, she tells John, hey, you know this is fake, right? Yeah. And he goes like, is it? And if it is, it doesn't matter. It's like, because it shouldn't matter because, like, you can do whatever the hell you want. And she's... Because I'm not your boyfriend. I'm not your husband. I'm not your anything. You can do what you want. Oh, yeah. A little bit of back to that. We're just like, oh, are we we backing off again? that again? But yes. 
it's interesting because he's he's sulking, but he's also respecting her space. Yes. Right? I have no ownership over this. And her position, I think, is coming from, well, yes, all of that's true. I could have totally recreated with Craze, but I would have told you. Yeah, if that had happened, yes. Well, that makes sense, yeah. Because she, like, she needs him. It's something that she apparently can say to Talon easier than she can say to John. And that makes sense for, for Aaron's character. Right. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's easier, like... It goes back to the whole recreating thing. Like, you're not supposed to have personal feelings for people. Then again, like, recreating across sort of power dynamics is maybe not so cool. No. I can imagine that that's frowned upon. It makes Uh, sense, yeah. No, totally. But, yeah, technically neither of them are peacekeepers anymore, so... So, Erin explains to John how she feels about him. Mm -hmm. Abstractly, as usual. This is where she says, you're a plague and I still keep coming back. Yeah. And he explains his feelings toward her, also in the abstract, by (laughs) coming full circle and showing her something that he's apparently been working on since season one. We get Star Charts! Star Charts! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, yes, finally, thrilling Star Charts. Star Charts. Star Charts. Star Charts. Star Charts. And what does it look like? crinkly recycled wrapping paper yep what's even on there there's nothing just, on there there's just, just some random dots and that's when he starts naming stars like Yui, Dewey and Louie but I didn't I didn't catch Mintaka I must have been writing something down at the time well yes yeah, so, so he says that this is something that he always does he gives them names and she says you already have names uh, and he says yeah but Mintaka 3 sounds boring to me <laughs> apparently he has one that he keeps coming back to which is a ref- his reference star and I call it Aaron which is nice, yeah. but it makes no fucking sense. No, I mean, it depends. Like, I mean, it, unless that's like a star that's really super far away and he's like decided like they can pretty much see that from wherever that they are. How would you know? I mean, context, you can do a little bit of drift. If you have an idea which way you're going, then you can like do some star plotting drift and you can see like other stars. Like if you have roughly an idea where, how far you've gone and you have got another big right. bright star, then you go like, okay, that still kind of looks there. And those three stars around it have kind of shifted. Yes, that makes sense. If but Dougal, these stars are small. Exactly. And the ones out there are far away. So when you're like, if we get a light year away from the sun, yeah. heck, if we get to the orbit of, of, of Pluto, mm-hmm. the sun will look like a bright star. Yeah. A little bit brighter than Quite Polaris. Brighter, but, yeah. Well, okay, so you yeah. get uh, you get a few more AUs out, well, that's, right? But that's the whole point. That star might be might as well be a galaxy, which is somewhere also else. True. So that's not yeah. gonna, that's not going to change very much in intensity over any local star burst that Moya does. No, but a close star would. Right. Just the practice of like looking out the window and looking for the brightest thing, and then assuming that is the same as a bright thing. Oh that no, you saw of course before, not. Right? I mean, that's you have own. to get some context in there. But man, it's beautiful. It is, and they kiss in. It's like oh, they kiss over the star, and it's like oh, oh, lovey dovey, and it's like that's too much marital bliss for any good. That's like something horrible is going to happen. <laughs> and it's like, can't, I was going to that. Yeah. I was going to call you a cynic, but you have seen a lot of Farscape <laughs> by now. <laughs> okay. Now, we've discussed this episode, and now we we move on to these segments, and we're doing this on our new mixing system, thanks to our Patreon subscribers for funding this. It's got these buttons, see? Mm -hmm. And I've loaded them with with sound effects. I just don't know which one is which anymore. Oh, that's going to be lovely. I'm going to... I think that one is the opening title, so I'm not going to do that one. So I'm going to try... Let's see what this one is. I think the third one is the one we want. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That was number two. Yeah. Should have used that at a different point. Yeah. Okay. No, the third one. And then... 
She gives me a Woody. There we go. Ah. She gives you the Willies. Yeah. All right. I even sort of mixed in a little music there. Finally. Finally. Yeah. All right. Wait, hold on. Quiz. Yeah. Do you know where that's from? Oh. She gives me a Woody. She gives you the Willies. It sounds a little bit North African. Like, oh, no. Okay, so this is fun. That's the music that played during the episode where this clip is from. It's uh, with a, the sort of red tannet root people on, 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 oh, on Sidecar. Right. Huh, I guess I didn't need to mix them separately. That music is actually playing while they're saying that. So, huh. yeah, there you go. Um, okay, Willie's okay. Woody's. My Woody definitely goes to the DRD. I love that DRD. Oh, nice. He is amazing. I like him. He's got the cool tools and the cool little sparky blue lights and the little red carpus, with, which is like multi-segmented. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite. He sort of reminded me of uh, uh, K-9 from Doctor Who, the yes, little robot I can see dog. Where you, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Do you want to nickname him? Oh, let me muse on that. All right, uh, no, fine. You can yeah. brood on that for a bit. I'm sure we'll see those DRDs again. And how about your willy? Willy, willy. Oh, that's going to be harder. Oh, um, willy, willy, willy. Uh, willy goes to the way the Budong beaches itself or jumps up and down like free willy from the, through the uh, <laughs> ice rings of the uh, whatever the name of this uh, planet is called. Sesharim! <laughs> that's the broken moon of Sesharim. You're that's, quite right. Yeah. Yeah, it's free budong. All it needs is like Rigel standing there with his finger up in the air as the budong jumps over him or something. <laughs> oh, now I get it. <laughs> oh, it's so hard to choose. I love every aspect of this episode. I remember really liking this episode. I didn't remember it being this good. <laughs> Just consistently, start to finish, so tight, so beautiful. I don't know what I'm going to... All right, I'm going to just scrub through here and just drop my finger on a random gif, and that'll be my favourite. Okay, it's the puke. Apparently, I really like wow. Rigel's puke. Yeah, that's tricky, because that would have been my willy. But apparently, no. Apparently, I love the, the Ooh, puke. Well, so. let's, let's just say that you picked wrong, and that is your willy, and now you can let, now go Oh, okay, yeah. now I'm going to... Okay, so that... So you but, pick your willy first, and that was okay, the puke and... Scene. No, it's the puke again. That's <laughs> the puke again. <laughs> Okay, well, this is not going to work. Well, that's okay. So, the episode is your Willy, I suppose. Uh, Woody, I suppose. Oh, God, yes. This 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 whole episode. I loved it so much. Fantastic job by uh, by Ben Browder. Like, it showed a... Yeah, actually, that'll be, my, that'll be my Woody. Ben Browder showed an understanding of these characters and their relationships that is really quite tricky to both respect where they are without, like... <sighs> alienating new viewers right. without boring existing going, loyal going viewers. into too much into fanboy territory right still moving them into into position like it's a really tricky balance to strike and he did just a fantastic job cool so and that's the story so far scape that was the fourth button that's that what the, fourth the fourth button button's button for. the fourth button the fourth <laughs> yeah. sensation we have just experienced it <laughs> Join us next week for another reading of Tales of the Uncharted Territories. Oh, yes. I don't know what I'm going to pick yet. We'll be asking for suggestions. If you have a suggestion for a fanfic that you'd like us to read during one of the Tales of the Uncharted Territories, please, please send us your suggestions at sofarscape.com slash fanfic. And after that, we'll be returning to uh, Farscape with Season 3, Episode 9. Losing time. In which someone on the crew is carrying a parasitic energy rider.
That's it. That's all the synopsis we get. Okay. That's all we need. Thank you for joining us. We're at SoFarscape on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, yes, synopses. We need lots of synopses for the rest of season three. You can send those at SoFarscape.com slash submit. Uh, and if you want to help keep the lights on and fund perhaps the next set of buttons, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's SoFarscape.com slash support. Once again, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers for making this possible. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so Farscape, Farscape, so good. good.